Welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current across education and teaching. Tonight, we've decided to start the year off by introducing you to a to the hosts of this podcast, telling you a little bit about ourselves and our journey within the school library world and why we think this podcast is important. It's probably something that we should have done right at the beginning, but we were so keen just to get started that it seemed we seem to have missed it. So there are three of us who host this podcast, myself, Elizabeth Hutchinson, Ruth Maloney and Sabrina Cox. So I'll kick off with a brief introduction and why I think this podcast is important. So I'm Elizabeth Hutchinson, a Chartered Librarian and Fellow of SILIP, which is the Chartered Institute of Library and Information Professionals. I have over 20 years of experience in school libraries, and I now run my own training business and membership programme, which includes advocating for fossil inquiry-based learning. I've sat on several committees, including the SILIP SLG, which is the School Library Group, and the Great School Libraries Campaign, and I'm currently on the conference committee of the AIIP, which is the Association of Ind Independent Information Professionals. I'm a mentor and assessor for SILIP's professional registration, and I was awarded the BEM for services to libraries in 2020. I'm an international speaker, blogger, and author of several published articles, as I believe in advocacy for school librarianship is important. As far as this podcast is important, I think, openly oh, talking openly about the role of the school librarian within education and I believe it's essential I think you have to have conversations out in the open and not between each other um, and I think that that's what this podcast gives you it gives us a space to challenge the narrative around school libraries and to add into the mix new and exciting voices to each conversation through our guests who we invite and and you know prod and poke and Cajole to come and join us. Um, we've had some fascinating conversations over the last few couple of years. Um, and, and apart from being delighted that people join us, the stuff that I personally have learned from others has been um, a real benefit to me. And I, you know, after having now 5,000 5, downloads, um, I had to think about that twice. <laughs> you know, I think it just proves that that what we're doing has to be, has to have some traction, has to be right. So, you know, I'm delighted that we are still going and uh, people are still listening. So that's enough for me for now. So Ruth, could you now please introduce yourself? Absolutely, yeah. So um, I've taken a rather long and circuitous route to where I am today. Um, I often say to my students at school that if, they don't know what they want to do, then that's fine because I'm still not entirely convinced that I know what I want to do, uh, such that I did a degree, an undergraduate degree, which started out as being British Sign Language and ended up being philosophy. I then did a law conversion course to turn my degree into a law degree. I then decided I didn't want to be a barrister, so I went to teach in Italy for a year. I came back. I volunteered in public libraries, and it was there that I began to think, ah, this is it. I like doing this sort of thing. So I then did what used to exist, and I don't think exists anymore, very sadly, which was a Sconnell graduate traineeship. Um, they used to be offered by a huge number of libraries, uh, university libraries and uh, also various other institutions. I did mine at Oxford University Libraries in the Bodleian, um, which was an amazing experience because you got to try a bit of everything, which was just what I needed. So after that, I thought, okay, this is it. I'm going to go and do my master's and then that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a librarian. I must have been 23 or something by then, maybe 22. Um, and while doing my master's, I met the uh, lead librarian at one of the Magic Circle law firms in London who had come in to meet master's students at City and talk about his experience. And it seemed to me that with a background in law and an information background, that was the place I was going to go. So I went off to various law firms and loved my time there. But when the children came along, that didn't work. So I took a career break. And when I came back, when I was ready to go back to work, I suddenly thought, I would never have been a school librarian when I was 20, but actually now that is where I can see myself fitting. 
So various other things in the middle, but I have been at the school I am now for six years. When I started there, as I've said before, I've no doubt they didn't have a librarian. And so the job was really to de redevelop the library. Um, it's a school, it's an IB school, and there isn't a requirement in an IB school to have a library. Um, and pretty much, although not explicitly a requirement to have a librarian, um, but there was just a need in the school to completely redevelop, to relook at the stock, to buy a new system, to do all those kind of traditional library skills. So I did all of that. But now my role has developed into a much more teaching and learning focused role. And that's where I found these podcasts and this uh you know, the people I've met through them, so useful and so interesting, because um, as I have changed my interest, so I can see all sorts of different fields that I, you know, didn't really know or hadn't really thought about initially. Um, I really feel quite strongly that I, that, that I don't have quite the right qualification for being a school librarian i would i would love to be what is called overseas a teacher librarian and i've heard daryl say the same thing that he would like to have done the teacher librarian qualification um but this podcast has given me that opportunity to have conversations with people in a very specialist environment which are the sorts of things i might have gained from doing a more specialized uh, course so yeah long long way round <laughs> But um, now I wouldn't do anything else. And these kinds of opportunities are part of the reason why. Sabrina. Gosh, how do I follow that? Okay, so <laughs> mine could be a very quick whistle-stop tour. So I started off doing teacher training in primary education, God, nearly 20 years ago. And uh, realised pretty early on in my NQT year that this was not what I was told teaching was going to be. I was miserable and I thought, I'm not doing this. Uh, so stepped back into doing support work and ended up working in a special educational needs school, which I really enjoyed, but it was exhausting. Um, I ended up having my two boys, so I took a break from working, full stop to bring them up. And then they got to that age in sort of the middle primary school where it's like, actually, I need to start looking about getting into work again. What can I do? Because obviously I've got this degree, but nobody wants to touch me. I don't want to go into teaching. And so I sort of started applying for jobs that would work around school hours. And naturally, that ended up me working in schools. And I became a dinner lady. But I saw there was a library in our local primary school. And so I sort of said, well, can I do a few hours volunteering in there? Uh, those few hours turned out to be most in the morning. And I really enjoyed it. And um, I was working alongside uh, a lone librarian who didn't really have any official qualifications. She'd sort of fallen into it. Um, but we got on really well. We had a lot of the same thoughts. And I thought, actually, perhaps this is where I want to be. That maybe this is my my niche role. Um, we ended up moving. And so I thought, OK, let's see if I can get a school librarian role. And ironically, a couple of schools were advertising pretty soon as I moved down into Aylesbury. And I thought, well, let's let's just go for it. Let's see what happens. And I got one. I was really lucky I got a secondary school role. And it was a team of um, was was going to be three, including myself. And I basically got the job because I had school working experience. I was passionate about reading and I knew safeguarding within a school premises. So I got the job. I literally fell into it. Um, it was lovely. Those first couple of years were really good fun, working around a team. There was a lot of support from my um, manager. Um, it was like, you know, there isn't any training in the school. Find something. We'll put it in the budget, um, which is how I stumbled across Elizabeth initially. And um, I thought, yeah, I really, really like this. And then COVID hit. We carried on. We did everything we could virtually. And then my team started to disappear. One of my colleagues um, took um, a leave for illness and decided to retire. And uh, so then we were down to two. And then my line manager became disenfranchised with the system and finally had had enough. And he put his notice in and volunteered me for being managerial. So I applied for it. I got it because obviously I knew the school. 
and I very quickly discovered where the flaws were within the system and the fact that the managerial side didn't have a clue what I did and didn't understand my role at all. And after probably about a year, I got to the point where I thought, I'm not enjoying this anymore. This is not how it's supposed to be. So I started looking for something else, whether it was another library role or just something else. And it's like, I need to change. I'm not happy here. And I kind of took a sidestep career into book selling, <laughs> which is where I am at the moment. Um, but yeah, I mean, while I was in the library, I joined Elizabeth Mentorship. I became part of the podcast. It was just nice to speak with other librarians, particularly when I became on my own, to hear other voices mentioning the same things that I was dealing with, the same struggles, the same successes, to share ideas. It was nice to find a community that I'd kind of lost when my team had gone and to realise actually we do all have the same issues and desires and passions and it was nice to realise I wasn't alone, I wasn't going silently mad on my own, which was really nice. So I'm I'm currently seeing what the future holds at the moment and I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I'm just taking it one day at a time. Um, but I'm going to carry on being part of the library community because I do believe that reading and library skills is really, really important for not just our future generations, but current generations. And I'm seeing a lot of it already as part of my book selling, parents coming in wanting help with reading to their children you know, kids coming in from school, I need a certain book or what do you recommend or I really like this. So I'm still doing aspects of my library role while being a bookseller, which is really interesting how much overlap there is in certain areas. But that's where I am. Uh, it, it's just fascinating to hear you both because because it's it, it, it just demonstrates the, the huge breadth of places that librarians can end up you know, from from your law libraries to your to your booksellers, it, there's there's a huge amount, and the wealth of expertise and knowledge is just almost overwhelming. But it made me laugh listening to you both um, talking about how you ended up in your libraries, and and mine is a similar story. Is the fact that um, I was. I had left school with no no qualifications. I had ended up um, having my children. So, you know, uh, felt very happy to be at home with them. But there was that moment where, okay, I, I want to go back to work. What do I do now? Now, I had worked in Newcastle City Libraries when I was 16. So thought, okay, let's let's go back and, and do that. Um, luckily, the Gilolo Library had a, a role free that was a library assistant. But really, very quickly, I was bored. Um, I think when you've got four children and oh, sorry, at the time it was three, but three children and you are, you know, running life at home and they're all having to be where they go. You know, work needs to give you something rather than just you taking it, you know. Um, so I I. Just, uh, they, oh, there was the potential of a, of a promotion. That was the big thing. So I was going to hang on and, and that was going to be fine. And I found out I was pregnant with number four. At that point, I was going to just stop working again and go back to, to looking after the children. When, when a serendipity moment happened on the table in the study, in the, um, the, the staff room, was the opportunity to do a distance learning degree. Um, in librarianship and I just you know when you look at something and you tingle all over and you just think this is what I'm supposed to do so I did leave I did my degree and went back to work at school's library service term time only three days a week with my qualification and I was able to do both and balance it and I think that that's really important and I think you know what I hear a lot is is it tends to be women in school libraries there are i'm not saying that there aren't any men there are we do know that there are there are men but mainly women who are trying to juggle that that home life balance um and it does make me wonder whether that's why some of the reasons that um school librarianship is maybe not as high on the professional uh understanding or or, or level 
within many schools you know who are the people that sit in your library and I think that this is what this podcast is doing is the fact that it's raising awareness of the fact that they might be parents but they are also professional people who are doing a very good professional job and it's something that we need to to be aware of um so let's me stop waffling (laughs) so what is it Ruth, that you particularly love about the school library and why is it important to you? Um, I think it's it's definitely a variety. I know and I'm grateful every day to be in the school I'm in. I hear, you know, colleagues in in local schools and all over the country saying that they they're not understood their role isn't understood and they're not supported and you know and I'm doubly lucky because I'm a state school um you know I I think a lot of people would expect someone in one of the larger independent schools to be in a different position although that's not my experience either but I am in a school which is extremely supported it's supportive of the library. It's engaged in what I do. I have a lot of freedom to do what I want to do. We are at the moment well funded by, not by the school particularly directly, but by parent funds. Um, so it is quite easy for me to like my job, I have to mm-hmm. say. Um, mm-hmm. But I love the, in, I, I'm immensely for a librarian I'm probably the most disorganized librarian anybody's ever going to meet because no day ever goes to plan and that's partly in my nature but it is partly because there is just so much to do and there are so many things to be in part of and to to you know to get engaged in and in a good school I think the library touches so many parts of the school I have one of the very few privileged positions in the school of being in touch with all sorts of students but not assessing their work so they come in to me and you know even if they're not regular library users or the library isn't particularly their space they can come to me and they know when I say to them you don't really like reading do you they can say no and nothing will happen you know, mm. and that's great. I really enjoy the people I work with, adults and children. Um, so, yeah, it is it is that variety. I think it's really important. I genuinely think that the skills that we can teach students and the understanding of how those skills work in their curriculum subjects is vital. I think having never been a teacher, that it must be easy as a teacher to be very content focused and very exam focused. And the privilege that we have is to step back and say, actually, if school isn't only about exams, it must be about what you can do with your skills afterwards. And therefore, maybe the content is a way to teach you the skills that you need to survive in life. Um, and I think books are important, fiction and non-fiction. You know, mm. I think it is important that people keep reading. Um, I, I I agree with Sabrina. I love recommending books, but it isn't only, you know, re- recommending fiction isn't only what I'm about. And I hope that that is um, clear in our school. Um, certainly. Yeah, it certainly feels that I can't imagine a much more varied school role, certainly. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you say that, so you're a state school, not a private school. And the way you often talk, Ruth, makes it sound as if you're in a private school because you're so well um, embedded within, within the school system. That is presumably has something to do with the IB, do you think? I think it does have to do with the IB. Um, I think, yeah, um, and I've I've heard people say that um, the fossil approach is something that can only really be easily embedded into an IB school because IB schools are all about inquiry learning. They mm. have all these learning objectives. There should be an inquiry question at the beginning of each lesson. 
They have what they call ATLs, Attitudes to Learning, and they are research-based and uh, information literacy-based, a lot of them. When you look at the skills, so they're the sort of skills that the IB thinks should be embedded in every child by the end of an IB education. When you look at them, almost, I, I would say three quarters of them touch the library in some significant way. Yeah. I wouldn't say they're all research skills, but they are all touching on research skills. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, it's really it's difficult. In, yeah, it's interesting, though, isn't it? Because we know that Daryl, OK, he works in a private school, but he works in a school that is doing A-levels and GCSE. And um, he is embedding inquiry-based learning yep. and fossil throughout the school. Yep. And they don't seem to be having a problem. No. <laughs> so, so it has to come. It has to come from the top. But absolutely. The, top, the head teachers need to understand what it is that school librarians can do. Um, yep. And there's just nobody out there currently explaining that as far as I can tell, you know, which is a real shame. No, and, and interestingly, you know, I am aware of independent IB schools whose library is not well embedded. Absolutely. So yeah. the two things don't go, and I'm aware of independent, you know, A-level schools and, you know, standard curriculum schools where the library is not well embedded yeah. and vice versa. The two things definitely don't go hand in hand. It is very much from the top. And we've had a change of head uh, since I've been there. And if anything, I'm more in touch um, and, and feel more embedded in the school with a new head. But she joined with me already settled in the school and, you know, an accepted part of what goes on. I didn't have to do any convincing. No, um, and that makes such a difference, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, Sabrina's yeah. story is so completely different. It's yeah, it's, indeed. It's the other end of the spectrum, isn't it? Mm, yeah. let, let me bring you <laughs> back in, Sabrina. You know, um, school libraries is is obviously part of you and what it is that you do. What did what did you particularly enjoy and and like? And achieve, you achieved when you were there? And certainly. The one thing that I did do was make the library the safe space in the school. I made it the welcoming place where every student who considered themselves an outsider had somewhere to go. I was the place where the kids would be absolutely distraught if I wasn't in for whatever reason. So a big part of the joy that I had was just giving these students an opportunity to be themselves, where they didn't have to apologise, they didn't have to hide who they were. They could come in, they could talk to me about literally anything that they needed to talk about. They felt safe talking to me. They knew I would listen. And I know so many teachers don't have time to listen, whereas I generally listened to them. They felt listened to. To me, that was a big thing that I could just encourage these kids to be themselves, to not be afraid of who they were and to give so many others the opportunity to see themselves in the books that were on the shelves. So not like we said, not just the fiction, but the nonfiction as well. A big mm. part of my job when I took over was to diversify the library because it was very white. And it's like, this is not a true reflection of our, our school, you know? Mm. And so a big part of my role was making sure that every student in our school could see themselves on the shelf um, in fiction and nonfiction. So and did you some of that, sorry, some of that role, did you find that, that it, you know, is it important that the librarian reads a lot? Or, Absolutely. Or, you yeah. know, is, do you, so we get a, we get a bad rap, don't we, for, you know, you sit in the library and you read all day. I wish we did. <laughs> if only. <laughs> so there is a lot of reading going on in your own time. Yeah. But that is so essential in a school library role, isn't it? Because. Yeah. You know, you've built up a diverse collection. You are then wanting to get those books out to the children, the students. If you don't know what the books are about or how to guide them, then then 
there's no point yeah Um, yeah but you know it wasn't just that it was I introduced lessons talking about why books are banned um and the history of banning books and I did lessons that were about why it's important we have diverse books you know conversations that weren't even happening anywhere else uh in the English curriculum never mind the rest of the school you we had conversations about um the history of language and how things have changed the history of censorship you know and then the whole inquiry process I introduced that in the library it's like right guys this is your question these are the skills you've learned how to use now go and answer the question or right okay you now need to go and find out something what's your question design it okay how are you going to find out the answer to that what resources do you need all those things I brought into the library and I was just giving these students the opportunity to do things that they would need but they weren't being given the opportunity to do elsewhere because of the restrictions of the curriculum and the time constraints um the other thing that I really did like was my colleagues so the the staff that came into the library were amazing and I was really lucky in my English department. All of them were fantastic people and were really supportive. And we're just like, yeah, go for it. We love what you're doing. Um, you know, I had a few other colleagues that would come in and I came like like another agony aunt in the school. I became like <laughs> the staff counsellor as well as listening to the students. I was also listening to the staff and supporting mm. them and, you know, ended up giving them books. again fiction to chill out or non-fiction because they wanted something I became Mm. the person to go to for a lot of the school and it was just nice to see that what I did and what I loved was appreciated by so many and was needed by so many Mm. and I think that's something a lot of people forget that the librarian can often be the person's you know someone's only point of contact or the only person they feel confident and comfortable talking to I mean I don't know about you but when I was a kid I would often go to my local library and I would talk to the librarian because I couldn't talk to other people um Mm. and then you know so there's that role that we play that we're with someone safe as well as someone who can inform and help and guide yeah that's that's part of what I loved it's interesting that you said that it, you had a good connection with the English department. That's very common in the school, isn't it? Because the yeah. English teachers seem to get what the library's about. Um, one of the things that I know that I always, I did often find frustrating when I was working in a, in a library was the fact that you would build a relationship with somebody, you know, you'd eventually get maybe the biology teacher interested in doing some kind of great, you know, integrated curriculum research lesson with them and then they'd move on yeah I have to start again and and I was talking to somebody about this and um he said to me he said to me you know you have to think of it in a different way you have to think that you are in uh, helping that teacher understand what happens when you connect and collaborate with the school librarian and when that teacher then moves on they are going to be working you know you're doing the job for the next librarian who when they get to their school (laughs) that's so optimistic that's assuming that the next school has got an equally brilliant librarian or a librarian now that it does cause a problem yes if you have a librarian who is comfortable sitting and issuing the books and you know chatting to children um but doesn't have the skills then what so you know it's really interesting isn't it that we that we promote the use of the school library but that is a big issue is the fact that not every school librarian sitting there can actually do it um let's go on to the problems and we've talked a little bit about problems um time management being ruth's one of ruth's problems i'm not sure that she's read my time management I have read your time management blog. Yes, I'm trying. I am trying. <laughs> so along with along with problems of time, like, you know, librarians don't have time, do they? They can't be everything to everybody. It just is, the job is so vast, so big, so impossible. Um, we have to, we have to, narrow things down and stop being yes people I think I think 
school librarians tend to be yes people because they're so desperate to work with the teacher that is just talking to them and actually it's not all right that you've got something really important to do but you're being asked to do the photocopying that really is one of my bugbears you know um it, it's not all right to be the person that's fixing the laminator um hopefully we laminate less these days in schools <laughs> but i'm not so sure um but what about you then, Ruth? Um, apart from time, is there any other problems that you that you come across working in a library? Yeah, I think I've got two. I think the uh, the, the profession, the view of the profession from outside. So not not particularly, you know, my school or my colleagues, but when I look at other jobs, other school library jobs that are being advertised, I have to say I'm finding it increasingly demoralized, demoralizing. In our local schools, we have two major schools, one of which is one of those schools that they write on, uh, you know, housing housing blurb, you know, when you buy a house and it says, in the catchment area for this mm -hmm. amazing school. Well, mm -hmm. they've employed a librarian who is really, she's a very nice woman, but she has no experience of libraries, and in fact said, I think at the last meeting, oh, I'm just think I'm going to get back into reading now, oh, you know, and, mm. and that's great for her. Brilliant. But actually, it reflects a general view of us as librarians that we are not a professional body of people. And therefore, you know, our qualifications, our experience, our expertise is not valued. Um, so I do th that for me is a is a problem and sort of connected to that is professional development and we've done a lot of professional development sessions um yeah. i there is a part of me which feels i'm doing that professional development for my own sake because i know i ought to professionally develop myself Absolutely. there is no ladder to climb there's no you know we many of us work alone there's no step up on the ladder I'm not going to get any management experience because there's nobody going to come beneath me. I'm not going to, you know, so where am I going? And in fact, I've recently started having this conversation with my school, which is on a teaching pay scale. There are various steps on the ladder linked to experience and expertise and all of those things. And for many support staff, all what they're doing is just working their way up the support staff grade. But I don't feel that I sit quite on either of those nope. and I but I do you know this is my career this isn't something I do you know between when I drop the children off at school and when I pick them up exactly um, and I want that is a problem and it's a particular problem I think for school librarians um because we work in this slightly strange structureless space it's interesting isn't it because you said you said you do the professional development for yourself and you know if you're if you're working in a school teachers are expected to do cpd aren't they they are they have inset days they have you know conferences that they need to yep. go to but nobody expects uh no i am expected to do it okay that's so good so i we yeah i'm contracted to work for inset days and okay. we now have this slightly interesting situation where we've extended our half term and that is made up of we have to make that time up in cpd hours okay so i'm doing them but i'm doing them for their own you know in that way for their own sake because i have to do them not because that development is taking me anywhere no exactly you know and it isn't really it's not you know the, everybody always wants more salary don't they yeah. But I didn't go into this job, funnily enough, to uh, make my millions <laughs> and retire early. Um, it's really about what is what does that development look like? Mm. You see what I mean? So I am bound to do it, and I'm glad that I'm bound to do it, because otherwise that really wouldn't say very much about my role in the school. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I do it, and then so what? <laughs> Yeah, and but also there are librarians out there that that school librarians out there that are not expected. Yes, absolutely. And in you fact, can understand that. You can yeah, understand yeah. That just by the yeah. fact that you said, if it wasn't expected, why would I bother? You know, why yeah. would I do it? You know. So yeah, yeah. 
there's a real there is a real problem there um can i bring sabrina in i'm just going to agree with ruth literally i'm looking at my notes and it's like yeah we're not going to talk about time obviously but certainly the professional development it was interesting i had to attend our five inset days but apart from like general school housekeeping all the inset was aimed at teachers and yet all the support staff were expected to sit in on it mm. and it what really bugged me is what sometimes i was down as admin staff sometimes i would be support staff and when it was convenient i'd be a teacher and you know so i was doing this training that actually most of it was not even relevant to me because it was so teacher driven and then it's like well i want something for my librarian side you know so that's when i i went out and i found something and like i said i joined your mentorship i found the podcast i came on the twitter you know i found out what other librarians were doing but as you said ruth it's for yourself because mm. You know, everybody else above me didn't care I had this. You know, it wasn't seen as anything. You know, I was doing all this. I was doing so much external training that and it was all on my my CPD, you know, because we had to log it all. And it's like, look at all this stuff I'm doing. This is what I'm gaining. And nobody cared. And it's like, well, I'm doing this for me then because I care. And it means that I will do my job better for the students and I will support my colleagues better doing this. Because well, it, I think as well, it's about motivation. It's self-motivation, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. You've got yeah. to have it. Because if you're sat in the library day after day after day doing the same old thing, you know, you are going to get demotivated. You are going to yeah. feel that there's no purpose. And actually, the professional development side of it for yourself is really important. Um, we do need others to understand that there is more to school librarianship than obviously meets the eye. Mm. So let's move on to the next question. What do you believe needs to happen for school librarians to become essential again within schools? Shall we start with the controversial answer, Ruth? Go for it. <laughs> well, you did say, Elizabeth, that you tend to the controversial. Um, yeah, I'm... The controversial part of my view is that I'm not entirely convinced with the approach that SILIP have taken of um, their chartership position, which is that you can become... It, it's linked to this question about who can take a job as a librarian. Yeah. Um, and I think if we are not very careful and we don't guard our professional registration and our professional membership extremely tightly, we are opening ourselves up to saying that this is a job that anyone can do. You know, do you are you prepared to sit through the safeguarding training? You know, and do you do you quite like books? And would mm -hmm. you mind sitting in the library? And I understand that experience can qualify you for the job. I'm I don't debate that, but I think that there is a difference between people who have chosen to take a degree at any stage in a subject and those people who have chosen to qualify by experience. And that, I think, needs to be recognised. Um, I think that we need to ensure that outside of ourselves, we are seen as professionals. And I, I do think that this idea of teacher librarians gains a level of respect for the librarians in those countries that hold that qualification because academic staff can see what that is they understand what that qualification looks like i don't think they've got they know anything you know i don't think many people even realize that you can do a degree or a master's in librarianship um and in fact when you do the degree or master's in librarianship there's no specialist element to it I was horrified when I discovered that I had to do nothing to become a school librarian because I was a librarian already. There is no conversion. You know, there's nothing. Um, who, who is it, do you think, that knows what school librarians should be doing? We do, Elizabeth. You and I, <laughs> Sabrina, and maybe a few other people. We're a little 
But this is why, this is why we talk a lot about IFLA, isn't it? So IFLA is the International Federation of Library Associations and Institutions, and they have produced a school library guidelines um, that if you are even slightly unsure about what school librarians do, you should be reading it. It's a 30 page document that that clearly outlines the five core instructional activities of your school librarian. So if your school librarian is currently sitting issuing books and and um, not much more, then there's a problem in your school because the, the fact is school libraries and librarians need to be doing more, but but they can only do more if senior leadership team understands what it is they're going to get from a school librarian. So yes, if you're a school if you're a school and you're employing somebody with no qualifications, then you you are getting what you're going to pay for. Do you know, it's it's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, and maybe so that yeah, person wants to be qualified. You know, absolutely. absolutely. Great. Then then we welcome them. You know. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be exclusive. I want the people who want to work in libraries to be valued for what they do, but I want them to be trained for what they do and understand the real power of it. And those people who employ them to understand the power of it. And that links to my next slightly controversial view, which is that our professional voices need to be heard more. Um, You know, I, we, you and I and Sabrina and others are in a, an echo chamber if we're not careful. And yeah. we have spoken about the recent um, outcry from authors about um, wanting more libraries and more school libraries and a push on reading. And we have all said, where are the voices of the librarians? Where are our professional bodies? And, you know, why are they not speaking out and I, I think the same about AI you know I think AI touches on so much of what librarianship is about yeah everything that we do is about AI or you know related to it and yet I look at panels of AI in education and there's not a librarian to be seen on them they are heads of IT heads of digital this heads of school heads of something or other not, I can't find the, you know, the sort of leading AI and education group. And I've asked them, where are your librarians? Yeah. And they're yeah. silent on it. And that it's tragic because this is our opportunity um, to, to kind of remind everybody um, and for to remind ourselves that this is what we are about. I think Absolutely. they are controversial brands over <laughs> Do you want to join in there, Sabrina? It's not that controversial because I've got pretty much similar themes here. You know, (laughs) we've got to be seen as an important part of education as a whole. And the fact is, like you say, you know, this whole thing about reading initiatives and reading for under sevens and who they asked? All the authors. I mean, Mm -hmm. as a bookseller, Am I allowed to mention my my store that I work for? Waterstones is part of this. We are doing reading resolutions, reading aloud for the under fives and reading for pleasure for the seven to nines. And so every store is supposed to have a display of, of books that fit in these two categories. And yet I looked at all this information. It's all come through the bookseller. It's all been on our emails. There is no mention anywhere of actual school librarians. And yet I know we've been banging on about this, certainly since I joined the, the community. Mm. And we've got there. And it's like, how are school librarians, you know, the one thing that you are talking about, not part of this conversation or completely ignored? So we yeah. really have got to be getting out into mainstream we need to be talking in the press our organizations have got to step up and go excuse me you need to listen to us it's just interesting isn't it because the the latest guardian um article that's just come out um with philip pullman saying that that you know schools need to have libraries and the fact that you know prisons have libraries but but schools don't um a, there's not one mention in that article about the fact that that we need school librarians in order to run these school libraries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and B, do you know the voices? So people like the Great School Libraries campaign, um, uh, SLIP SLG and SLA 
there's there's no mention of them no. so are they being ignored are they being asked to contribute do you know it's just really yeah. strange so when an author is being asked to talk about school libraries surely they should be pushing whoever's talking to them to the people that are the experts in school libraries it just really saddens me that opportunities seem to be wasted and missed because because it's just not being passed on or or people aren't being asked or you know there are groups that are specialists in school librarianship yet they don't seem to be part of the conversations and it, it's just such a natural progression it's a bit like the um uh literacy framework that came out no men you know how, how many pages 174 pages <laughs> yeah another librarian five, in it yeah five comments about libraries and and you know let's not talk about school librarians because we might have to actually employ some you know? it's like, yeah it's just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous so if you're listening we hope that we sort of excited you into being part of this conversation that needs to be had um we've talked a lot about training and the fact that you know, you need to be self self motivated. Um, you will have gathered by some of the conversations that we've had that I do run a training membership. So I'm going to take a few minutes to introduce engaging and empowering school libraries, a transformative training membership designed exclusively for innovative school librarians and teachers. If you're an educator or school with a shared passion for fostering collaboration, I extend a warm invitation for you to join me on this remarkable journey. My mission is simple yet powerful, to empower school librarians and teachers to gain clarity in what school libraries do through comprehensive training and unwavering support. By equipping them with the necessary tools and knowledge, I aim to enhance independent learning, elevate literacy levels and uh, nurture overall student well-being through the incredible resource that is your school library. By joining my community, you'll embark on an exciting adventure alongside like-minded individuals who are equally committed to the educational excellence. Together, we'll explore a unique learning experience that embraces innovation and encourages the growth of your students. For more information about this extraordinary opportunity, please visit the link provided in the show notes below. And don't miss out on the chance to be part of this powerful initiative. So let's just finish off very quickly with with what kind of topics do you think we might be discussing on that on this podcast in future um <clears throat> i'm going to push that one towards sabrina first that's right drop me in it thank you <laughs> <laughs> um ai ai Absolutely. is the thing at the moment for better or for worse it is here it's going to keep evolving it's going to keep getting smarter and we need to be on top of it, how to use it, how to be safe with it, how to use it constructively. And I think it's something that school librarians are perfectly poised to be um, dealing with, um, educating, using, training. And I think that's something we need to keep evolving with as it evolves itself. So Absolutely. I think that's a key thing. Yeah. I also think we need to keep pushing with the reading for entertainment and to inform. I know people just call it reading for pleasure, but I prefer the way the librarians have, have framed it because it's not always pleasurable for people, whether they're children or adults. And so reading to entertain and inform is a much better way of framing it, particularly with this conversation around school libraries, particularly around falling reading standards in our country, particularly with libraries being closed, particularly with school libraries not being a mandatory thing for so many libraries not to have a librarian. Don't get me started. Yeah. So I think we need <laughs> to keep talking about this and bringing in voices from outside just school librarians. We need to be talking to public libraries. We need to be talking to university libraries and literally across the whole spectrum of all those areas that deal with reading for entertainment and inform, inform, in, in, information. I can't talk now. <laughs> and, you know, I have seen a lot of that in my book selling role that that is coming in time and time again people do not know where to start and we're talking new parents all the way up to grandparents they are lost and they come to us for help so I think that's a conversation that we should be spreading out across communities not just within the school librarian system 
Fantastic. Thank you. That's given me given us a few thoughts. What about you, Ruth? Yeah, I, I'm thinking about the AI. Um, as I said, I, I really think it's central. One of the things that I'm so I'm on the AI working group in our school, um, and it's a fascinating group, mostly because we're not looking at what AI does and how we can use it, but we're looking at our AI policy and we're thinking about our AI policy. And there are two AIs, there's artificial intelligence and academic integrity. And the way the two AIs work together is like, that's all us. That's what we do. And I think that would be a really interesting conversation to think about. I mean, you're right, it evolves and it is evolving so fast. Which mm -hmm. system you use and how you use it is sort of one conversation, but actually a very much broader, overarching ethical conversation about AI is definitely one I think that we need to think about. And of course, encouraging reading for information and entertainment, pleasure, whatever we're calling it. Mm -hmm. um, I listened to your podcast the other day about uh, school libraries and Daryl telling us about how we should have 75% of our collection was nonfiction and we all ought to be reading all that nonfiction as well. I felt thoroughly inadequate, but <laughs> I did then, you know, it has made me think about our nonfiction because we're not at that balance and we mm -hmm. are a very academic school. Um, mm -hmm. And it made me go back and listen to our podcast that we'd done about nonfiction. I think there's more conversation to be had there, definitely, to get into that and really unpick what that means for a school library. What does this idea of a 75% provision of nonfiction material, I think I would be happier with, rather than nonfiction books, what does that look like? I think there's definitely something in I think I think yeah we could go on forever couldn't we exactly where should we stop <laughs> so what we're doing is is we really hope that anybody listening to this conversation doesn't just think that we're three ranting librarians which which, <laughs> which we just haven't really enjoyed the opportunity to do that this evening Um, I hope it's given you a little bit of insight into the the, the things that we're passionate about the things that drive us forward we hope that um, if you're listening, you will continue to listen and hit the subscribe button. But also, if you've got any ideas of the kind of things that you think we should be talking about on this podcast, we are open to ideas. So please just let one of us know. Um, anything that we've talked about this evening, we will put in the show notes below. Um, I'll have to go back and listen because <laughs> I don't think I've written any of it down. But anyway, um, so don't forget to subscribe and um, thank you very much for listening and good night. Good night.